to the, the pulpit for this sermon, so we'll just keep an eye on that. Uh, we're in, a, in our sermon series, Portraits of Jesus. We're going to continue on here in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and we're in Mark chapter 6, as uh, Captain Nicky just read out for us. Uh, and I want to start by simply asking you the question, uh, after a while from being away from home, have we ever sort of like, you, you, you know, you, you gra- uh, graduate high school, you go away to college, you start finding your confidence as an individual, or you get a, you know, right out of high school, you get a job and you start in, enter the workforce force and you start getting that, that confidence as an individual and as a person uh, and everything is going well in your life and then some years go past uh, and then you go home for some particular reason, whether you go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or uh, maybe some other family get together and as soon as you walk through the doors of your house, House, suddenly you're right back to being that, that teenager again. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had that experience, that sort of, um, that sort of uh, man, this is where I came from and, and I can't ever get out kind of feeling? Have you ever had that? Yes, no, maybe, I don't know what you're talking about, a little feedback? No, apparently not, no feedback today. I'm going to give you guys the hint. If I don't get feedback, I just continue on on a point until I get feedback. So if you all want to get out of here before 12 o'clock today, a little bit of feedback, nodding your head. If you're comfortable, maybe an amen. I don't know. Anything? Nothing. All right, here we go then. <laughs> Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away uh, from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. What we see from this particular passage is something that uh, is over and over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is constantly on a move. His ministry isn't a static thing. It's not a, I'm going to be rooted to the one spot, not kind of move ministry. He's constantly going forward. He's constantly doing things. Uh, In one of the other Gospels, it says that Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why he had come to earth. He had come to do the will of his Father and to minister to people and to, 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 to do his thing. And so Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is constantly moving forward. And so Mark in verse 1 says, he went away from there where he had been and he came to his hometown. Jesus is constantly moving. In verse 2, it continues on. Here we go. In verse 2, it continues on and it says uh, that on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, which is something that we've seen with Jesus before. Jesus has a habit of wherever he goes, wherever he shows up, he goes into a, uh, a church to start preaching and to start teaching people about his Father in heaven. He starts saying, hey, I've got the inside track. I've got the scoop. This is what God is about. And so he shows up to this Sabbath, and he begins teaching, and it says uh, that many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And now, this is really interesting to me. For one part, half of my sermon isn't in my notes, so it actually might be a shorter sermon than we're used to. Uh, So we'll we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, But what they say here is that we know this guy. We know this kid. Why why is he here amongst us performing miracles? Okay, I'm going to maybe put this into a way some of us can understand. It's like if Shirley on Sunday morning decides she's going to get up, start preaching, and she preaches with such authority and power that we all look around and say, wait, wasn't this girl in Sunday school about 20 minutes ago? It would, it would be a miracle, right? It would be something that would, would 
get into our minds and be like, this A plus B doesn't equal C here. This is kind of strange. And they say, uh, where did Jesus get this power to, to, to start doing miracles? Remember at this point, he has, uh, he's healed people. He healed uh, a paralytic. He healed someone who uh, had leprosy. He healed someone who had a withered hand. He healed the woman with the issue of bleeding. And he raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. He's been performing miracles, and these wo- the word had got out uh, of his power, and so suddenly he goes home to his hometown. He goes to the synagogue, the church where he went to Sunday school, day in, day out, uh, probably for a long period of time, and he's doing all these things, and people look at him and say, where did this come from? It's like, have you ever seen a really good football team? Oh, sorry, I should say, have you ever seen a really bad football team? And then... After a while, you get into the third quarter, suddenly they start playing really good, and you want to say, where did this come from? I mean, no, what you want to say is, why didn't you play this for the first half? I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm, I'm well aware well of this. Right? They play really bad for the first three quarters, and then they realize they could lose the game, so they start playing in the fourth quarter. That's what they do, right? Some of you are football fans. I see a couple of grins. Great. Uh, but this is like Jesus. Where, what is this guy doing? Where did he come from? Why, hasn't, why didn't we know this about him? And, and really what I want you to understand is wh- when you go with authority, people will ask where you got it from. When you start your ministry, when you start doing what God has called you to be, whether that ministry is, is uh, sort of like in the professional Christian life, you become a pastor, you become a, an officer in the Salvation Army, whether that ministry is you're teaching Sunday school, whether that ministry is that you're, you're helping with breakfast, people always want to know well, what makes them so special that they get to stand up there and do that? What makes them different from the rest of us receiving this service that they are the ones giving this? And so when you get authority, authority people are going to ask where you got it from. Uh, in addition to that, we live in a society where people are going to take offense at the most ridiculous, simple things you can imagine. You have an opinion that is different than others. They're going to take offense at your opinion. It's just the world we live in. It's stupid. My wife says I'm not allowed to use that word from the pulpit, but I think, seeing as it's found in Scripture, the word stupid, uh, Bart can back me up on this, it's found in Proverbs chapter 12, right? There you go, he's nodding. I can use it to describe the fact that in the world that we live in, people will seemingly take offense at anything. They don't allow uh, the intention behind the act or the word to have any weight or meaning. Instead, they just want to get offense because if they can be offended, then people will hear their voice. It's actually uh, in a response to the powerlessness that that the internet has given to us, is that if you're in the same screaming match as a million, million, million people, no one can hear your voice unless you raise above it. And so the way to raise your voice above the crowd is to to be the one that's the most offended, to say something that's louder than everyone else. And so whether it's justified or not, Jesus found that out here in the Gospel of Mark where people are getting offended that he's preaching. People are getting offended that he is healing the sick. Okay, Someone was dead. A 12-year-old girl was dead, and Jesus raised her from death to life, and people got offended. No one else thinks that's just a little ridiculous. I got a smile over here. I'm going to take that as, as an affirmation that that's just a little bit ridiculous. 
People are getting offended at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And it said that he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about uh, among the villages teaching. And this is what you need to know. Following this in the Gospel of Mark, in the rest, this is just the rest of chapter 6. These are the, the few sort of chapter headings that you get, sort of the story headings in the Gospel of Mark. You see there that we see that Jesus sends out the 12, Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus walks on the water, and Jesus heals the sick. And I think the important thing about this story is none of that happened in Jesus' hometown. None of that happened in Nazareth because they did not believe him. In fact, it was because they were offended by him. Can you imagine what blessings you've missed out on because of your doubt that God could be doing what he's doing through the person that he's doing it with? I want you to, to sort of take this. We all do this thing. We're all humans and we, we doubt uh, uh, a free gift. You've heard the expression, never look a free uh, gift horse in the mouth. You know, it's because as humans, we want to know why a person is being nice to us. Have you ever had that, that when you've gone out and someone uh, just randomly is nice to you, one of my first reactions, my gut instincts is, well, what do they want? My wife, when she comes, I'm sitting in my office, I'm on my desk, I'm typing. My wife comes into my office and she starts to compliment me on something. I stop her and I ask, honey, just what do you need? Because she, for some reason, she's gotten to this habit of thinking that she needs to flatter me. Now, I've been married now for 11 years. We just celebrated our 11th anniversary uh, a couple days ago. And you would think that after 11 years she would know that she didn't need to flatter in order to get something. But it's something to do with our human nature that we think we need to flatter in order to get uh, uh, something from someone else. We need to compliment them. We need to flatter them. We need to lift them up a little bit so they would help us. Uh, But on the same token, when you're on the other side of that, when someone comes up to you and starts flattering you and starts lifting you up, our immediate thought is, "Well, well, why are they doing that? Why? Why are they being nice to me? What do they, what do they want? And so sometimes in our lives, we, we do that and we doubt why something is happening. And one of the things that we do the most is we doubt why God would bless us in a certain way. Because we think of ourselves as uh, uh, lower than God, rightly he is above us, but we think he, he's not going to bless you. You don't know what I've done in my life. Why would he bless me? You don't know the sins that I've committed. Why would he do anything good for me? Why would he lift me up from where? And we get this negativity that starts bringing us down and bringing us down, and suddenly we're doubting God. We're saying things like, well, why would he do that in our lives? And we doubt God to the point where we don't receive the blessings that he had for us. I, w- I want to tell you something God is patient, but on the same level that he is 
patient, he also values our free will. He's given us free will so that we can make the choices for our lives, whether they're good choices or whether they're bad choices. He's allowed us to make those choices. And so God will never interfere or intervene with our free will. And so if we say that, uh, as an example, God is going to give us a blessing and we say, I do not want to receive that blessing, God is not going to force it on us. Does that make sense that makes sort of a logical progression and sense. And so we can seriously miss out on the blessings that come from God because we will simply not acknowledge that he is a God who wants to bless us. Now listen, it is not because you're inherently so awesome that God is going to bless you because of who you are. I hate to break it to you. When you look in the mirror, the person looking back is not awesome in the eyes of God. Good. None of you are arguing with me. Sometimes people go, but I'm a good person. You're not. Bible says you're not. Bible says uh, in, in the book of Psalms that every single one of us uh, is bad. It says that God looked down from heaven on the children of man to see if there were any who did righteous, any who were good, and he didn't see a single one. Now, I want you to imagine that, that God, who is from outside eternity, can look into eternity, see all of time and space, and see every human that has ever lived, whoever will live, and who is living now, he can look at that mass, and he can say, man, there is not a single one here that does good. That's just a little bit weird, a little bit heavy, because I'm a good person. I use the crosswalk when when I cross the street. I stop at the red lights. I mostly stop at stop signs. I do a California stop. Keep rolling. And so we look at our lives and we say, I'm a, I'm a good person, naturally. I'm not, a, I'm not an axe murderer or a serial killer. I'm a good person. And what Scripture tells us is that even your righteous acts, because of the sinful nature of you, and your motivation for performing the sin for the, the righteous acts, that they are offensive to God. And so that, that leads us to the next question. Well, then how can I please God? You can please God through your obedience to him. And the righteous acts, if they're not coming through your power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, then they become the good acts that you want them to be. And so we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not worthy enough to receive this blessing. I'm not good enough to receive that blessing. Why would God be blessing me? And when that happens, sometimes Jesus packs his bags and he moves to the next town and he starts healing the sick in the next town and feeding the 5,000 in the next town and raising people from the dead in the next town. And what we've done is because of the way, because we've doubted our identity in God, we miss out on the blessings. Now, I don't want you to feel like you are uh, alone in this, because if you remember our first sermon, our very first sermon in the sermon series was called Obedience, and it was found in the Gospel of Mark, and it was found in the story of his baptism, the baptism of Jesus. And what was interesting about that baptism is that Jesus goes under the water and he he pops back out and the heavens open up and a loud voice declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We've all been to Sunday school. We've all heard the story. And then a dove comes down and lands on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, blessing his future ministry. 
And then what scripture says is immediately Jesus goes into the desert and he starts uh, being tempted by Satan. And when Satan comes to him, the very first recorded temptation that we have is Satan coming up to Jesus and saying, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. First temptation. The first temptation there is not turn these stones into bread. The first temptation there is to try and get Jesus to doubt his identity in God. Because when God opened up the heavens, he said, this is my beloved son. And the very first thing that Satan says is, if you are the son of God. The temptation there was trying to get Jesus to doubt the identity that the father had just given him. And I'm going to tell you, it is the same way that Satan attacks the church today. Satan tries to get at your identity as a redeemed child of God. And he comes to you and he says, really, would God forgive you of that? Are you really his son? Are you really his daughter? Do you think the things that you've done in your life, do you really think that God's going to forgive that? Do you really think he's good enough to forgive that? He's not going to forgive that. And he goes at you and goes at you. It's not the flashy demonic possession that you see in Hollywood films. It's not the spinning heads and the the vomiting of pea soup. That's not what, how Satan attacks Christians. Satan attacks Christians by attacking their identity in Christ. That you, by yourself, are no good, but with Christ, you are a redeemed child of God, adopted into the power and glory of Christ himself. And so you can miss out on this blessing by doubting your identity, by doubting that God would bless you. And like I said, half my sermon notes are gone, so this is all I got. I wish there was more. I had more. Maybe you'll get the leftovers next week. But here's the reality and what I want you to take away. If you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, you have an identity given to you by the Father himself. He said that I am adopting you as my son or daughter into the kingdom of Christ. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, if you believe the basics of the Christian faith, you have an identity in God, and that identity is child. You are the son or daughter of the king. And when Satan attacks you, he is going to attack you by bringing up your past bringing up the mistakes that you've made and trying to get you to doubt your identity in God. And he's going to say, this is what you've done. How could God ever love you? And I'm going to tell you, he loves you. And he's loved you from the very foundation of the earth. It says that before, before eternity, that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain. For the foundations of the earth, the plan was to send Jesus to redeem your soul to heaven because of how much the Father loves you. And so I want you explicitly in this story to understand that if you were to insert yourself into this story into the, as the characters in the story, you would be the people in the synagogue questioning the blessings of Jesus. And don't do it because if you do, you will miss out on the blessings of Jesus. And interestingly, we're going to sing our benediction, which begins, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Those blessings are available to us as the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you've given us today to come into your presence and to worship you. 
I pray, Lord God, that you be with each one of us now, that you help us understand our identity as the sons and daughters of God, that we are adopted children into the kingdom of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we don't miss the blessings that you have for our lives by doubting who we are in you. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we